This show contains discussions of violence, murder, abuse, suicide, some use of language, and other things that some people may find offensive. We don't recommend Crime Cafe for children under the age of 14. Listener discretion is advised. Orthodox Jews trace their roots back 5,000 years to the time of Moses, and they live according to strict codes that have remained unchanged for centuries. To maintain their traditions, many communities have established yeshivas, which are schools that emphasize the principles of Orthodox Judaism. It is on the morning of Sabbath, Saturday, November 1st, 1986, that 15-year-old Chaim Weiss was bludgeoned to death in his dormitory at a yeshiva in Long Beach, New York. There were no signs of a struggle, no witnesses, no murder weapon, and this case remains unsolved, but Chaim Weiss will be remembered today and hopefully his case will be solved. This is the murder of Chaim Weiss. Welcome or welcome back to this episode of Crime Cafe Podcast. I'm Amber. I'm Coral, and today we're going to be discussing the murder of Chaim Weiss. This is our first um, Jewish murder. Yes. And um, I for oh, I found this murder. Okay, I found this case on the Charlie Project website. And it happened um, in the late hours of October 31st, early morning hours of November 1st. So it's technically a Halloween murder, but this story... You're not ready for it. It's so frustrating. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. The Jewish Sabbath is observed from Friday evening to Saturday evening as a day of rest and worship. Sabbath requires the practitioner to follow strict rules such as no riding, driving, shopping, using the telephone, turning electronic components on or off, cooking and baking, kindling a fire, and doing laundry. There are 39 major categories and hundreds of subcategories of things that are considered work that are forbidden. The Sabbath is supposed to be a day dedicated to resting, reading scripture, meditating, and visiting sick people. And Chaim was actually um, murdered during the Sabbath, which is important because you're not supposed to do really anything during the Sabbath. Like you said, there's 39 major categories. That yeah. you li- there, there's a, a litany of things you can't do. You know, like you can't, I mean, anything you can think of, you can't do it. It's basically just for worshiping, reading, like you said, visiting sick people. I mean, you can't call, write. No, you can't write. I'm surprised you can't write. I know. There no cooking. And like I've seen I've seen people on Orthodox Jewish TikTok. Yes, there is a TikTok for that. <laughs> um talking about when they do the Sabbath, they leave their house with certain lights on. Like, right before they know the Sabbath is going to start, they'll leave, like, their hall light on so they don't have to turn it on or off. Oh. What do they eat? Like, they cook food before or something? Yeah, they have to. Okay. Chaim was an outgoing, likable teenager who was at the top of his class. He had been attending the yeshiva in Long Beach for two and a half years. He was the son of a jewelry salesman and the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. Chaim was the oldest child of Anton and Pessy Wise of Willowbrook, Staten Island. They have two other children, Menachem, 11, and Rachel, 7. Unfortunately, we don't know much more about him as a person, except that he was just a great kid. I mean, I tried my best to find what I could in newspaper clippings and stuff, but it's hard. And they're very private people obviously but he was extremely loved which we'll talk about later so on november 1st 1986 don daly a veteran nassau county police detective was dispatched to torah high school in long beach new york to investigate the murder of one of its students 
The victim was 16-year-old Heimweiss. A single blow to his skull with a sharp object had severed his spinal column. Horrible. Oh, my. Investigators found no murder weapon, and an autopsy later showed that Hyam had been stabbed in the head with a heavy type of knife, according to Detective Sergeant Robert Edwards. There was no evidence of a robbery, no signs of a struggle. Detective Daly realized that this would be unlike any other homicide investigation in his 25-year career. He said, quote, Initially, we were dealing with a Saturday, which is the Sabbath. When we arrived at the scene sometime around 8 in the morning, it was difficult to talk to anybody at that particular time because the people we're dealing with, being Orthodox Jews, they're not able to write. We couldn't take statements from anybody. We got the impression a lot of the students at the time were afraid to talk to us or were a little bit shy, end quote. So they couldn't tell the police something and the police write it down? No. Oh, I guess because that wouldn't have been. The students can't. There is a liaison rabbi between NYPD and the um, yeshiva, Mm -hmm. but nobody can talk because they're practicing like they're religious. I mean, they can talk, but they have to talk about their religion. Yeah. And we'll learn later some of the um, constraints they have on what they can say, even when they're not in Sabbath. Oh, okay. Okay. In Haim's room, several clues were found to suggest that his killer was familiar with the yeshiva and the customs of Orthodox Judaism. It appeared that he had been killed while he slept. His body was then moved twice from the bed to the floor, and then from one spot to another. In Orthodox customs, it was necessary for his body to be taken off the bed and onto the floor, so it was at its lowest and coolest point. Obviously, we're dealing with someone that lives there. Yeah. I mean, because they're practicing the customs. Yeah. That's terrifying. I know, and then nobody can talk. Yeah. Which is even more terrifying. Yeah. And you're like, um, well, y'all may not be able to talk, but one of y'all murdered him. Yeah, you know the killer's among. Ugh. Okay. Hyam's window was left open, even though it was cold outside. Orthodox traditions require a door or window to be open in the room of a deceased person in order to let the spirit out, you know, into the holy. After Hyam's murder, a memorial candle was placed in his room, and it was sealed. The room was sealed. Two days later, however, another one mysteriously appeared. Another candle. But no one admitted to placing it there. Because they usually light the candle for like seven days after the person's died. Oh my gosh. No one admitted to it. And the police officer was like, it's supposed to be a thing of like gratitude and love. So you would think somebody would admit to putting it. Yeah. But they didn't. That's so odd. It's creepy. Yeah. But also, they could have heard, like, you know, anything you do and say, I did this, could connect you somehow. Right. And even if you did, they don't, they probably don't have to tell you that that's true the rabbis are probably like don't tell them that yeah so as the days went on many were still reluctant to talk to him or the other investigators but investigators did end up learning a few details on the night of october 31st Haim left class with his friends to attend services afterwards he returned to the dormitory several hours later two of his classmates saw him reading in the hall. This was customary as students did not leave lights on in their rooms on the Sabbath. He was last seen alive at 1 a.m. on November 1st. Although no students reported hearing anything suspicious around the time of Haim's murder, one did remember his door being quickly opened and closed at some point. Whose door? Haim's. Haim's door. I mean, that tells me someone was in and out. Yeah. I mean, they did say it was with one blow, and it was, it was with a sharp knife-like object. Some people said hatchet. Some people said something else. It was 
heavy enough, sharp enough, and the person was strong enough to sever his spinal column. Yeah. And one blow, I mean, and they took him off the bed, opened the window, and left. So, this person lives there. And went with intent. Oh, absolutely. I knew what they were going to do. Okay. A few days after Haim's murder, investigators called a meeting with the students and some of the rabbis, asking for any information about this case. However, nobody offered any information. They later learned that their religion prevented them from coming forward unless they had evidence or another witness to back up their claims. But if they saw anything and they were the only person that saw it, they couldn't come forward. Yep. Dang. Police eventually polygraphed 40 students and several of the teachers and rabbis. However, no useful information was found. Detective Daly and Haim's family are still hoping that someone will now come forward. Evidence found at the scene suggests that Haim's killer was familiar with Orthodox traditions. It's believed that the killer also knew the layout of the dormitory, and the killer was probably aware that Haim was one of only two students without a roommate. Yeah, one of two. And it, this is a high school. Um, and it's not like there's 20 students at the school. It's like a big school. Police are looking for information um, about a yeshiva student who is, apparently seen, who is apparently seen on a boardwalk at 7 a.m. on the morning of Haim's murder. A jogger noticed him and felt that he was out of place there. He was never identified and it is unknown if he was involved with Haim's murder. That's not much to go off of. That's literally all they have. That's awful. Investigators looked into a former janitor at the school, along with a mentally ill man who attacked senior citizens in their homes near the yeshiva in 1986. However, both men were ruled out. In 2013, this case was reopened by investigators. They interviewed more than 100 former students, but reportedly made little progress in the investigation. In 2015, they announced that they believe a student or faculty member was responsible for Haim's murder. However, they have yet to identify any suspects. I'm glad they reopened it. I am too. I'm shocked. I know, because this is one of those cases that could go, like, and nobody remembers it, nobody talks about it anymore, which is so sad. But these pe- they still care about Haim and his case. Thank God. Yeah. In November 2017, Haim's father, Anton, was interviewed by a news station and recalled several bizarre incidents prior to this murder. In July 1986, he had called him from summer camp. Um, Haim had called his dad from summer, summer camp. Mm-hmm. He was crying and saying that he wanted to come home. According to Anton, this was very out of character for him, and in August, he went to visit his grandparents in Europe. During this time, the yeshiva's principal, Rabbi Avram Cooper, called Anton several times, asking when Chaim would be back home. He felt that that was suspicious. Yeah. Why? Why would you want him home? Why do you need to know? I know, he's, it's literally summer. He's in Europe. Like, get off my back. On another occasion, Cooper had Anton bring Haim to his home to talk with him alone. After doing so for about 10 minutes, he returned to Anton. However, he was reluctant to talk about the meeting. Anton suspects that Cooper may have informed that Cooper may have information about Haim's murder. Some have speculated that he may have been involved. PIX-11 in New York revisited the case in November 2017. They received a call and a copy of a letter from Simi Weber, who said he was a student at Torah High School of Long Beach in 1976 and 1977, 10 years before Haim. Simi said he was 14 years old then, but only survived a year there because of what he called systemic abuse imposed by one rabbi who, quote, beat me up on a regular basis, included punching, kicking, and twisting of the ear, end quote. Simi blamed, Simi blamed the former principal for allowing the abuse to exist during his tenure, 
Also, there are claims that a student died by suicide in a dorm shower several years before the murder of Hyam. So, okay. Um, This reminds me a lot of the Catholic Church with peace and love. Yeah. You know, it's not something that I'm speculating on. It's just true that the Catholic Church has been abusive and and hides it yeah so is it so far off to say that maybe this specific yeshiva is has abusive rabbis no it's been proven that extreme organized strict religion has abuse because they want to keep students usually young kids in line yeah, and there's always groups that take it to the extreme. 100%. This isn't... Yeah, like, no, th- this isn't just um, religion. It could be, it could also be um, a boarding school <clears throat> that has nothing to do with religion. If you're in power and you're trying to organize a group of students, yeah. The boarding school that was around here. I don't know about that. A boarding school. I'm scared. Um, Darrington Academy. Oh, yeah. Correct. Um, at Hobbs' funeral, Rabbi Emmanuel Pollock said, I have a question for the Holy One. Blessed be his name. How could he take from us a young child, a sweet, beloved boy, a face that laughed all the time? 1,000 people came to mourn the death of Haim. Many were crying and shaking back and forth. Haim was buried at Floral Park Cemetery in South Brunswick, New Jersey. And there have been no updates since 2013 when they said it was reopened and they questioned students. There's been no updates since then. Um, But his father is on the, you know... He's, he's on the lookout and, like, he hopes to resolve the case. But he's up there. Yeah. I don't know if anyone saw anything, though. It sounds like if this really was just, like, he went in, he did this, he got out, he left. It sounds like an execution to yeah. me. Yeah. And that is so odd that the... Who was that that was calling his father and asking when he would be back? Rabbi Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, asking when he was going to be back. And then when he got back, they had a meeting at his home for 10 minutes. And when he came back, he said he didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, No. Yeah, there's something weird. Why was the meeting private? Is that some sort of customary thing? With the child. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. I mean, I understand. I understand their religion, not just their religion, but all religions have rules. And I mean, even in this case, like the rabbis said, we don't allow autopsies. But in this case, we had to have one. Yeah, it was a homicide. Yeah. So it's hard. This case, I wanted to tell it because it's so interesting and. It's, it's a hard topic to navigate. Mm-hmm. A lot of religions have um, so many customs, like what can and cannot be done to the deceased. Right. And it makes it really hard in some of these cases because you always want to respect the deceased or the deceased family's religious views and practices but at the same time, sometimes doing that will leave you with um, an unsolved homicide or more questions. Yeah. Make it impossible to answer. I know it's difficult for these young students. Or they're not young now. They're older than us, actually. But, oh, yeah. But, you know, I'm sure it was difficult at the time when you're older and you're born into a religion that's strict and stuff, you 
are more mature and stuff, but when you're younger, it's hard to understand religion. It's hard to abide by rules. They were probably extremely upset. I don't know about how they navigated their lives after that. And if you did see anything and you weren't unable to come forward because there was no one else that witnessed what you witnessed, that would be traumatizing because you'd be like, I know I had like the missing piece. Yeah. And you're going against your faith. And then what if it was your rabbi, one of your rabbis that, that you saw go into the room? Yeah. There's no way. And even if you spoke out against a rabbi. Yeah. The police are going to be like, interesting. Now, let's say they investigated that rabbi that he called him out about. And turns out he wasn't responsible or they didn't have enough evidence to charge him with anything. The school will be like, uh, boy. Okay. Oh, yeah. He would get punished. Yeah, he would be severely. Yeah, because you came forward. And while he's being investigated, you'd be punished. And even if he was responsible, there probably would not have been enough evidence because obviously they have no evidence. Yeah, you'd be their only witness. Yeah. There's no cameras. There's nothing like that. You'd have to have multiple accounts and that rabbi would probably lose his job Mm -hmm. and then the other rabbis that were friends with him would punish you they would find ways to punish you Mm -hmm. like couldn't talk to your friends or something for an extended period of time or i'm sure they do have free time get that taken away have to do extra prayer stuff like that There are ways to punish people. Yeah, anything that was a freedom. Yeah. I'm I'm sure they did have some freedom. You know, they could read and stuff, read books. I'm sure the books were limited and everything, but it's not like these people um, just, like, are nuns. Well, I'm sure they were allowed out of their room for, oh, yeah. you know. And to... when they graduate, they are they just go off. And it's like private school for Orthodox Jewish people. It's it's like they, they go off and they go to college. They can have normal lives and everything. And how many people were in the school? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's terrifying, too, that the person never re-offended, because what did Haim do? I know. To upset the person to this extent. I know. Because that's using a lot of force. So, currently, they have 151 students at at, uh, Torah High School in Long Beach. And they're all housed there. So, if it was about the same, probably about a hundred. Yeah. And he was one of two that d- didn't have a roommate. I just, and these students were so incredibly upset in the paper and stuff. It, it talked about how they were crying and everything. You get so attached, especially when you say, live with them. I was about to say, I can't imagine living with them because just going to school and having a class with somebody every day you're like absolutely yeah get attached to them you know yeah and there's nothing you can do about it Mm-mm. and your life is so religion religion focused that it's even more emotional because that's your main focus and you're around each other all the time There's not many distractions other than religion and school. Yeah. And he was probably one of the older children. Yeah. So he was probably looked up to and... Correct. I don't know. It's so sad. I know. Um, That is so sad. And really, unless there was like... 
there's one witness that's just going to eventually come forward, I don't think it'll ever. It would have to be such damning evidence. And, you know, I think one of the ways they could solve it is if they were able to get some of the documentation from the rabbis way back then that that contradicts some of the statements they gave to police because some of the rabbis did give statements to the police and stuff later on it would be so circumstantial and they'd probably all be dead by the time they figured it out Uh and and i mean his dad is older you know i think his grandparents are already passed away they're holocaust survivors oh i'm sure so it wouldn't be for anybody but his siblings and other surviving family members and friends and the public of course but yeah those classmates this is him that's so sad he just looks like a sweet boy yeah he does or a deathbed confession if one of these rabbis or some student yep Gave some kind of a deathbed confession. And this was on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, interesting. Which is not, uh, I did not watch that episode, but you can find it at the link on the Unsolved Mysteries link on in our sources. So, for bullshit and banter, I have one thing yeah. and one thing yes. only. So, recently I got a message from one of our listeners who is also um, my friend, (laughs) but she said that um, she asked me a few questions. She was curious about how we did the podcast um, and she wanted us to do a bonus episode on how we do the podcast, but that would literally get like two listens. And so we're just going to talk about it now about how we do it. So basically If you have a true crime podcast, or any podcast for that matter, and you're doing it with somebody, you have to be on the same page. Are you doing only murders from the 80s? Are you doing only uh, Black American murders? Uh, You know? Yes. Indian American murders? Are you doing 90s murders? Okay. Are you doing all murders? You know, it doesn't... For Amber and I, you guys know we do unsolved, or usually missing people small cases nobody knows about or you haven't heard about in a long time it makes it harder for us to find cases so that's how we start you start by what subject you do and then we look personally we look for cases that are uh, not heard about very often but then you have to make sure they have enough info to actually be able to right tell people about which makes it hard sometimes, really, to find cases. Right. I will give credit to the podcasts that do mostly um, Indigenous American and Black American cases. Because, to be quite honest with you, it is so hard to get information on those cases. That's why it's very rare for Amber and I to do cases of people of color because um, they don't get that much media attention. No. There's not a lot reported. I mean, I can find a case, like last week from the 50s, I can find 30 news articles about that young girl. If it's a young girl or even an adult um, black American, I find a Charlie Project page Mm -hmm. and that's it. And if you don't know, on the Charlie Project, there's usually just... Maybe two or three paragraphs, right. if you're lucky. Right. And I, you, if we have cases that are smaller like that, we could say, you know, um, let's do three or four in one episode. But sometimes they would all be like, they went missing on this day. They were uh, this old. They looked like this. And they were never seen again. Okay, next. They were this old. They they literally have basic information. They don't tell you anything about the child or the per- the adult. And you get into some 
and you realize that it's not just this one Mm -hmm. there's like other cases that could be connected and there's this reddit person thinks this and this and this sometimes you get into them and it's a whole lot more than what you realized it might be right right um not that there's a more info on that one case just that it's connect it could be connected and right things and like the case we just did today hi i'm weiss um a little bit shorter than our normal episodes but it had enough information to create a storyline yes and to give some answers and although he's i mean he's jewish so thank thankfully they have enough information because it's very rare that you even find information about jewish murders mm-hmm. um so you've got that so you have to decide you have to find uh, a murder you want to talk about the way we find those is very we find them all over the place youtube reddit personal life experience remembering them from our childhood um 48 hours unsolved mysteries um the charlie project and you can find um posts on facebook of people like yeah commenting true crime cases that they know about yes there's tons of groups on facebook called um missing persons of blah 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 missing persons of georgia whatever um and they'll post almost daily missing people and they'll post updates. I've literally found cases, people talking about it in the comment section and then it opens it for me mm-hmm. or I'll be looking at one case and, and learn about another mm-hmm. and I'll go into that one. Um, we, f- we find it, we've had cases that people suggest to us and we've done them. Um, like Robert Hickok that was suggested to us. Um, String bean, Amber remembered from her childhood. So it's just a. Lately, we've just been finding them online. Yeah. But at first, it, it was like from our memory. Yeah. Um, Christy Cornwell. Yeah. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of. Yeah. Um, so once you find a case, <clears throat> then the research starts, and the research can be the research process is not the same every time no not at all where did you find it did you find it on youtube or did you find it on reddit or did you find it on wikipedia um so then you have to look at all the news articles that you can find on google then you have to go to your normal websites like namus doe network um uh charlie project um gbi.gov or any .gov website and then you can go to other sources like ancestry.com newspapers.com that's where you find the good Mm -hmm. stuff because like a couple of our cases I was researching I had nothing until I went on newspapers.com that's like a hidden gem yeah they have a lot you have to pay for it but it's useful because you can find stuff about, like, the family of the victim, f- find quotes, even pictures that aren't on Google. Yeah. Corey finds a lot of stuff sometimes. Like, I'll have looked at something and then she'll send me something that's totally something that I haven't seen at all. Yes. I love, I love those two sources. So then, basically, you just research. We've kind of gotten uh, a lot better at um, researching. And basically, how we do that is just, it's like we're doing a report. Yeah. You want to tell the name of the victim, of course, and their background. If you can find who they were as a person. You start really figuring out what to look for and what information you need and where you can look and what you can trust and absolutely we don't rely on wikipedia that often Mm -hmm. um we do mention something sometimes because they're interesting 
like maybe a sentence or two, but usually it's from like a news source. But if I've learned anything, it's that the news, okay, they don't all match. No. The stories don't all match. No, that's another thing that sometimes you start looking and you realize that there's so much differing that you really can't decide what's facts. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, but, and it could be something so small. It could be like, well, they went missing on April 1st. It says here, but the investigator saying on this news piece that it was the second or the fifth or something like that. Yeah. And that's important. Right. I've seen newspaper news clippings that have gotten the names wrong. Oh yeah. So you have to weed out information. You have to know that there can always be human error. A hundred percent. And that's hard for us too, because we are also human and we also make mistakes. And there's cases we still think about to this day and hope we did it justice. And it's hard not to let your own opinions get in the way of how you tell absolutely these when it comes to minors it is almost painful for amber and i not to say how we feel about certain things how how their lives were handled but when you're researching cases and then you present them, and then you wait for people to respond after you've put out a podcast, it's really rewarding the stuff that they tell you, and you feel even better about not saying exactly how you feel every time. Yeah. Because chances are, it's obvious that anybody would feel certain ways. I mean... I had someone recently, okay, well, when we first started the podcast, everyone was so excited. They were like, oh, I love it. This case and this case, this was so interesting. Have you heard about this? Which is hilarious because, yeah, we have. (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Yeah. But now it's turning into more like, um, I'm sad. Like, the people tell us we're sad. Yeah. Like, I had someone at work a few weeks ago tell me that they were just, like, totally crushed at some of the cases we were doing recently and that's how we feel too and it is sad but it's it's a family's reality that they have to live every day absolutely so the least we can do is try to give a little bit of exposure to help find closure peace justice or when we do solved cases or something like that just to spread the information and not let people forget what horrific thing happened right to this victim and there's more to true crime than the sensational part of it like amber said it is real for some people the cases we talk about uh and i remember seeing a tweet recently from liberty germans sister mm-hmm. on twitter and someone was tweeting at her if you don't know this is regarding the delphi case so someone tweeted at her why would you let 14 year old girls on a bridge unattended yada 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 your first instinct in life is to say that how could you how dare you that's why this happened to them And she said, her name's Kelsey, by the way. She said, does it feel good to, like, bash a family like that? Obviously, they feel bad about it. Obviously, they're regretful. But every parent does that. Yeah, and 14, I mean. Look, Amber and I were going all over the state at that age, okay? Yeah. We were hopping between places left and right sometimes didn't even tell our folks where we were we would say oh we're going to taco bell but we might also for example go to the gas station go by here go to shop for a minute yeah see what i'm saying and yeah okay well there's been many times there's a bridge you know where i'm talking about near horseshoe bend where we live i've been up there many times i took senior pictures up there with my cousin um 
and stuff happens ne whatever you want to call it neglect or just trusting the situation trusting the public it happens it's not neglect i think it's just something that we're so used to right like and even if, if I was like, okay, we're going to go to Taco Bell and then we stop at the gas station or something along the way, mm -hmm. it's not like my mom would have been upset if I would have been like, oh, we stopped at the gas station before we went to Taco Bell. Exactly. She would have just been like, oh, okay. I know. But when, like, you didn't know where we were in that time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when mom, when I was, I lived with my mom when I was like nine and ten years old. I had a friend who was also like 10 or 11 and her sister was like 14. My mom dropped us off at the mall. Okay. It, and it was totally fine. I don't think she was a bad parent for doing Would I do that now. No, but when I was a freshman in high school, me and three of my friends got dropped off at pizza hut and it was dark already. Mm -hmm. And we're trusted to walk through the dark parking lot to the bowling alley. Correct. That remind yes, we did the same thing. Like, we did the same thing. My grandparents bowled on Monday night. My cousin and my friend, my friend, her parents also bowled. We'd literally walk from the bowling alley all the way to Waffle King. <clears throat> yeah. And I was in like fifth grade. So... You have to take your opinions a lot of the times out of it as much as it pains us. There's, of course, been times during editing where I've found stuff that's like possibly could be offensive and I'll take it out because it doesn't matter and it brings nothing. Yeah. But they're like, I, I will say there's not too often where Amber and I are so mad at the family. We're never mad at the family. No. It's very rare. But anyway, you do have to try to keep your opinion out of it because even though it is kind of like a friend podcast and you're like here to have a good time, but at the same time you can give a little opinion and more so in solved cases. And right. Right. A lot of times I think I struggle the most when it comes to parents that didn't call oh, right yeah. away. Cause I'm like, mm. the only thing is I can say like, you never want anything to be wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, if I call, I'm admitting that I've done something wrong. And somebody is going to think I'm a piece of crap parent. Mm -hmm. And But everything's going to be fine. Like, they're just going to come walking back. And then I'm going to have the police down my back. Yeah. Because I had to call. Yeah, exactly. You're admitting you failed. You're admitting that something is actually wrong. And then you're like, well, what if I call and then he walks in the door? Yeah. I'm embarrassed. Or, and a lot of parents say that you call and then it kind of gets turned on to you. Like, oh yeah, you did this wrong or like, where is this? Or, you know. In most cases, these parents have been, or girlfriends, partners, whatever, boyfriends, have been scrutinized enough, and they're not the ones on trial. No. Now, when we're doing research, it's not really a script so much as, as it is just laying out facts, and we just read them off and put our opinions in that's how we do that it's not yeah. scripted no so everything opinion wise that amber and i say is literally off the cuff yeah and then we record it onto the computer and like all the questions i ask and stuff that is oh yeah just all as i read it this yes. is what my brain thinks and my reaction like when i pause and i say amber's in the literal fbi i mean that and if i say i never thought of that i really didn't yeah this is not one of those podcasts we just lay out the facts then we question yeah so after we record then i edit and that can take well first of all research someone asked me how long that takes that take that can take um, anywhere from an hour to, to a few days. Yeah. 
depends on where you're getting your information, how spread out the information is. It depends on how much information's out there, too. Mm-hmm. And, like, I find it really difficult to research cases that are recent. Yes. There's so much. Mm-hmm. It's hard to know what to use. And another thing, I love Reddit. And I go on Reddit a lot. And it's hard, like, to read something on Reddit and then be like, well, that's just literally something that person made up. You know, there's right. no facts to back it up. So don't say, don't even mention it. Yeah. But then it's so hard to not think about it when you start reading yeah. articles. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. And it's hard. Sometimes you read articles, especially, I would say, between 2005 to present day. You'll read an entire article and then pull one sentence from it. Mm-hmm. One fact. Because all the articles say the same thing. Yes. If it's older, it's easier to research. I don't know what it is about that, but it just is. So it could take an hour, could take a couple days. Um, very rarely do we put cases on the back burner. Amber and I usually always have a couple cases that we've started. Mm-hmm. But editing takes usually two, two and a half hours. Then we put it online, we put all the information, and we schedule to post it. Then we publish it and we wait. Yes. Yep, we use Anchor. You guys hear our sponsorship. We use Anchor. Mm -hmm. We love Anchor. Yeah. It's super easy. Um, We can both, we both have it. You know, we can both access it. We have the app. Yeah, it has an app. You can do everything from your phone. Mm -hmm. Um, You can see your listens. You can see where people are from. Um, It lays everything out very nicely. And you can listen on Anchor. You can download the Anchor app yeah. and listen. So Yeah, you can listen on Anchor. Um, some, actually, I forgot to mention this to you. Someone asked me, does it help us more to listen on Anchor than it does, say, on Spotify or Apple? It doesn't matter where you listen. Mm-mm. It helps you all the same. It helps us all the same. Um, if you want to help us extra, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's what helps us. Yeah. Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, if you can leave a review. Yeah. That would be amazing. That's really the only difference because everywhere, I mean. Yeah. And any type of engagement on Facebook, Instagram. Right, right, right. That helps us. Yeah. Listen wherever you want to listen. That's that's your business, for real. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much it. Um, The hardest part is research and dealing with the aftermath. Because Amber yeah. and I, I swear, we've created PTSD for ourselves. Yeah. With with all that we consume. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it becomes really heavy because I don't only consume this just to, like, listen to cases that I want on the podcast. I like to listen to... Right. I listen to true crime Probably like 85% of my time that I'm listening to something. Right. It's for leisure and for work. Yeah. Like, this is a job for us. It's a part-time job. Well, it's really a full-time job, but... Yeah. And sometimes it just gets too heavy and you have to take a minute and step away. You might be in the middle of research, but you have to take a second, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Take a step back, gain yourself, and then you can. I have a problem with always thinking that I'm personally responsible for the victim and thinking that, like, if I don't remember them and live differently, then that's going to be me. Yeah. And the unsolved cases get me because. I'm like, okay, I can't leave out one detail because that one detail, someone that's listening is going to know what that means. Right. I have to find every single detail. That's another thing I was going to mention. But sometimes it's hard to find every detail. And sometimes, like we said, you don't know if the detail is true. 
Yeah. How much... It, another thing is, like, how much research is enough? Yeah, exactly. There, we had to just come to the realization that there's going to be some things, y'all, that we've just left out. And there's going to be some questions that you can't answer, especially with the un- unsolved cases. And I love the unsolved cases because I know they need the exposure, but I want answers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We feel extremely passionate about those. There's one case that we're following extremely closely that we hope to give you guys an update on soon. Sabrina Long, if you guys remember that case from early on when we first started this podcast. If not, go back and listen because there's been some developments. And it will make you cry. It's another (laughs) that it will make you disgusted. You're so mad. I know. You really will. And I could just spit or something. I know. I wish there was help for podcasters. I wish there was like a group on Facebook that if you're a true crime podcaster, you could go on there for support because nobody tells you how to be normal after you read some of the stuff we read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of it's really heavy and we won't share it. Yeah. And, like, I can consume true crime all day at work. One case right after the other, boom, boom, boom. Not think about it. But when I started researching our own cases, it got to be like... it. I would I have dreams about them sometimes. I think about them throughout the day. And you feel personally connected. And there's like no support. No one really tells you how to do this. And how to live with it. I wouldn't say I regret it. Because I don't regret the podcast at all. I think it's helped. A lot of people. And has given voices to a lot of victims. But it's difficult. And that's why it was so important to us for you guys to be so gracious when you let us have the break. Yes. Do you have anything to say? No, I think that's about it. Okay. We'll see you. Or just say it. You say. It. I don't need to say it. <laughs> um. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. You can find Crime Cafe on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Crime Cafe Pod. And you can email us case suggestions at crimecafepod at yahoo.com. Click our merch link below if you want to get some Crime Cafe shirts, decals, or coffee mugs. We also have a Goodreads profile in the show notes below. There you will find all of the books that we have mentioned or recommend on our show. It's free and no membership is required to see our library. This episode and all of our episodes are researched, recorded, and edited by us, Corey and Amber. All of our opinions are our own. Although we try to make these episodes as accurate as possible, some statements may be inaccurate.